0: What is up everyone? Welcome into another episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning and I am your host, joined as always by my friend and co-host Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, I said it on Twitter, I have never been so happy to be so completely and utterly wrong Wow, what the hell happened? Where has this been all season? what's going on?
1: yeah I, um, I, I got the chance to go back and, and watch the the film for Ohio State's massive victory over over Michigan um, and basically we, you, we um, I mean <laughs> we spent the whole season saying that the coaching staff didn't know what they were doing and I think that we were right they, they really did spend the whole season not knowing what they were doing. And then they knew what they were doing in this game. They they really really did. <laughs> and I I think that uh, I'm not I'm not gonna go all the way as to say that we were wrong because the things that they did in this game were the things we were saying all year. They they should be doing. And uh, if they want to send us a check, they can they can do that. Um, I, I'd be happy to to collect some money from from the university. But yeah, they they had a great game plan, uh, offensively and to an extent defensively. They they did the things defensively that they need to be doing. They just they were more prepared than Michigan, and they kicked the shit out of them. It was. It was really an impressive showing from the players who I think played their hearts out. This was I mean, they were they were all out. They were flying to the ball. They they played a great game. And by the staff, they they called a fantastic game. Ryan Day, I think, had probably his best game as a coordinator. He the whole game he was in control, he he designed plays well, he was setting plays up for, for later on in the game and then taking advantage and that's the thing we wanted to see all year and he did it and Uh, I don't know how much of that is just familiarity with Michigan because their defense is, is pretty similar to Ohio State's in the way that it runs or how much of that is Ohio State actually preparing for this game. But they were great. This was the Buckeye team we've wanted to see all season and they showed up. And that's I mean, that's fantastic. It was a very, very enjoyable
0: win. That was a big thing we talked about in the lead-up to this game, right, was Meyer saying that the better prepared team was going to win, and we joked about that and ragged on him and said, based off of what we've seen all season, there was no way in hell that was going to be them, and sure enough, they were, so up top, credit where credit is due. The coaching staff really uh, stood out in this one. It, It pains me to know that we have to give Greg Shiano a little bit of credit, and for that sweet punt block that we'll talk about. It sounds like he might have drew that up or maybe Urban Meyer is just like, hey, I'm going to throw Greg a bone here. But either, either way, they were awesome. And like you said, that translated, I think, to the play on the field too because right from the jump, the players really gave it everything they had. And I, I don't want to dive too much into this discussion about the, the greater overall state of the rivalry between Ohio State and Michigan right now. But I don't think it's crazy to say that there is one side of this rivalry that maybe doesn't take it more seriously than the other, but is absolutely more intense than the other. And Ohio State really brought an intensity to this game that I don't think Michigan did. And the fact that they were underdogs, they did have to hear all week from us and everybody else that this was going to be the game where it kind of all fell apart in this season we would, we would remember this as the lasting image of this team kind of underachieving. They completely blew all of that out of the water, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And it was great to see for the coaches and the players because this was their most complete performance in a very, very long time.
1: Yeah, and I, I will say on the Michigan front, um, their, their game plan was horrible on both sides of the ball. Michigan's game plan was absolutely dreadful. I really... I don't know what they saw with Ohio State this season, but they saw the wrong thing. I, I think it certainly helped Ohio State's defense-wise that they put their linebackers in zone, the thing that they should have been doing all season long, um, and that pretty much took away the, the underneath stuff. But Michigan wasn't ever really trying the underneath stuff. They they tried to make uh, Shea Patterson a downfield thrower. They They tried to have him use the arm strength that he's not known for. He's, he's certainly more of an accurate passer than anything. And perhaps most insane of all, they tried to do long developing, like several seconds long routes against this defensive line, which is just, it, it's baffling to me that you would see this defense and the things that they've struggled with, which is almost unanimously quick plays, quick hitters underneath, and then not being able to make tackles. You see that defense, and then you think, well, no, we can beat them down the field. <laughs> we can beat them down the field on, on long crossing routes and uh, play action and, and super extended plays. And it was just, I mean, you know, all credit to Ohio State's coaching staff and players for a, a great game, and I, I will give Greg Schiano credit because it took him a while, but he figured out that putting the linebackers in a zone, putting them off the ball, uh, well, we'll certainly talk about them more, but putting them off the ball was the correct move here, and it was probably the correct move all season, but they did do it here, and I, I'm, I'm very, very happy that they did, um, but it, it really was the, the perfect combination of Ohio State's game plan was excellent, Michigan's game plan on both sides of the ball was absolutely terrible. And Ohio State's still more talented than Michigan. We, we, uh, we thought coming into this game, and I think a lot of people did, but we were among the, the ones that were most uh, adamant about this, that Michigan's coaching could cover up for their, their lack of talent, and it didn't. They, their coaches did a bad job, and Ohio State's didn't. and That's, I think, really the main reason for, for such a blowout result
0: do you think Ed Warner was like lobbying Harbaugh all week? Like, let me call plays. I know what to do against these guys. I know exactly what, like that's what it felt like. And, and we saw 2015 Ed Warner calling plays for Michigan on Saturday because yeah, their, their game plan was super odd. They didn't put their players in positions to succeed. Uh, I'm, shocked that it felt like Michigan had never seen Ohio State run a crossing route on film. They were like, wow, what's this new wrinkle to the Ohio State offense? They just they got totally outclassed in every single way, and it, it really started from the start of the game, and we've talked so much about being able to tell a lot of times how a game's going to go for Ohio State you know, right from the jump from Maryland, it was giving up the long touchdown, and then the kickoff, and Maryland gets the ball back. This game, I think, it started what with a Michigan three and out, and that was something. It's only one possession, but it feels like for this team and for the defense in particular, that type of stuff is very important. And when that happened, it was like, okay, it, it's it might be a good day if they're able to get what we assumed was a very prepared Michigan team and had a had a plan for that first drive to get them three and out and then Ohio State to be able to score early and be able to move the ball and have success. That was very key. And just from the, the start of the game, it felt like that the things that we were very concerned about Ohio State doing offensively, they were able to do. And first and foremost, the offensive line, who we've just been railing on All year for them to have the type of game that they have, especially in pass protection, which is where I think that they stood out the most. They gave Dwayne Haskins clean pockets to work with pretty much all game, and Ohio State's receivers were able to take advantage of that. And that was something I was super surprised by, but kudos to those guys, and it's great for them after such a a Shaky season that they've had to be able to play this well against the best defensive line that they've faced all year.
1: Yeah the the offensive line almost seemed to have like an out of body experience. It was just they they played out of their minds. They they played better than they've played all season long, and I, I don't think that <clears throat> one good game. And this is something that I'll, I'll say for the whole. The, the game as a whole, is that I don't think one good game erases what Ohio State staff did this season. They really f***ed up pretty bad the whole year. They, they really did a bad one for most of the year. But the the line stepped up here. I don't know if that's Greg, Greg Sudrawa. I, I think that a pretty big part of it was a schematic change that... Um, It it wasn't every play, but pretty consistently on the the mesh route, the crossing routes that Ohio State was running, they would leave J.K. Dobbins in the backfield or Luke Farrell in the backfield to help block, which is a pretty good way to help your line, and it it worked (laughs) against Michigan and Michigan really couldn't get any pressure at all on Dwayne Haskins and that really helped him out on the the underneath stuff even if he didn't need a ton of time because he just looked more comfortable back there he he was able to set his feet he still missed on a couple of downfield throws but he was he was really good and the line was really good and I think that Dwayne's success and the offensive success was a huge part of you know why Ohio State won the game so easily and I, I will say that the, the run blocking was not as good, at least not until the fourth quarter. Ohio State pretty much passed for the first three quarters. There was there was a couple runs, and I think that the final numbers don't necessarily reflect what actually happened during the game. But it was, and I, I said this in my film study, that it should be, it, it'll almost certainly be out uh, by the time that this episode is out. So people should go read that on com. But um, basically, Ohio State... Just they they outschemed Michigan for three quarters. They abused the defense's weaknesses their their smaller weaknesses, but they they picked them apart and then, after doing that for the first two quarters or so in the third quarter, they flipped it and they went after a Michigan team that was over pursuing the things that Ohio State had done in the first half and in the fourth quarter, Michigan was so tired that Ohio State just ran all over them and That's what Ohio State should be doing that's what a team this talented should be doing that's (laughs) that's what a good coach should do with this team and and I think that they did that in this game and I I certainly would have liked to see that more this season I I hope it's going to keep up for the Northwestern game I'm not super sure I'm confident in that but Northwestern's not super good but basically Ohio State out schemed Michigan until they could just outrun them and and they had more depth than Michigan in the fourth quarter so they started running And it was really just, you know, it was a perfect game from Ohio State, from the staff, from the players, from everybody. They they did a fantastic job offensively.
0: Yeah, and Dwayne Haskins really showed out. The numbers are a little bit inflated with that long Paris Campbell jet sweep touchdown run, which really showcased the difference in speed, I think, between these two programs. And maybe that's the biggest thing that stands out on the field to me is just the difference in the type of, Athletes Ohio State has at the skill position and the depth of those athletes, but you look at his final numbers and it was twenty of thirty one for three hundred ninety five yards three hundred ninety six yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions that's not bad for your first start <laughs> in the game, and we've seen a little bit of his inconsistencies all season, like you said, we saw some more of you know the deep balls not working as much as we thought they would coming into the year, but Overall, the the thing that he has, I think, really progressed in is making the right decisions, and even if they weren't long throws, he made the right decision basically all game. He was really super locked in with what he was going to do and where his reads were and where he was going to go with the ball, and I just could not be more impressed with him, and he breaks Drew Brees' single-season touchdown passing record, has the yardage record, so whether or not this is his last game, uh, regular season game at Ohio State and last game in Ohio Stadium. Very thankful for Dwayne Haskins because it's a treat to watch him play and for him to be able to step up in last year's game and help lead them to a win in the second half and then to be able to put on the performance that he did today was uh, was pretty special. Yeah,
1: and speaking of the, the passing game, these receivers, we, we've talked about it uh, quite a bit this season on, on how surprisingly good good the receivers have been for Ohio State they were they were really really great against Michigan They're awesome. They're, I mean they didn't have super gaudy numbers it was only you know Paris Campbell had five or I guess six catches if you're counting the the pop pass um, KJ Hill had four Chris Olave had two huge catches both of which were touchdowns and He really looks like he's going to be a star. I think that, um, I I can't remember who it was. Uh, It might have been a a dispatch guy said that he looks a lot like Terry Glenn, which I agree with. Demario McCall made an impact. He, He had a bad fumble on a kickoff, but then he immediately bounced back and almost scored a touchdown on a wheel route. Johnny Dixon had the touchdown catch where he was just Wide open in, in the end zone, and that was that was a case of Michigan's defense breaking down more than anything. And uh, terry mclaurin had just the one catch, but it was it was an excellent play. I think it was a a second and long, and he, he catches it, gets stopped about three yards short of the first down, and then fights through about three tackles to get the first down. And it's just if if there's one thing that I have enjoyed about this Ohio State team and that I'll remember about this Ohio State team all all season long, is that these receivers have been kind of the backbone of, of this offense. And when the line has struggled, when Haskins has struggled, when the running game has struggled, the receivers have always been there to to keep the offense moving forward. They pretty much won the game against Penn State with the screens and with their blocking. Um, and while each of them has had some down games, Austin Mack had the, the TCU game, and, and he's now, now injured. Paris Campbell's had a couple games where he kind of disappeared um Johnny Dixon had a couple games with some drops and but all of them have, have rallied together. There's never a game where none of them were able to make plays, always one or two were able to step up and they have just been they've been phenomenal for this football team. They're blocking their actual receiving skills, their routes, their catching. And just the effort that they play with on on every down has been excellent. So all credit to them. Brian Hartline has done a fantastic job with them. And I I don't think they're the most talented group in the country, but they they play just as hard as anybody, and I really appreciate that.
0: Paris Campbell is 97 yards away from 1,000 receiving (laughs) yards on the season, which is is Imagine saying
1: that to somebody in 2015, that Paris Campbell's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver.
0: (laughs) It it feels like he's been around the program forever, and if you would— You know, if you took away the stats and you just had to had to guess who the leading receiver on this team was, I would think it would be KJ Hill. Or, you know, maybe maybe Terry McLaurin since he's made some plays downfield. But Paris Campbell has just quietly had these games where he puts up massive numbers and I really hope he's able to get it, whether it's in the Big Ten title game or wherever Ohio State goes in the postseason, because the work that he's put in and some of the his nagging injury problems that he's dealt with since he's been here and the perseverance to just to be able to become a number one receiver is really special and I couldn't be more happy for him in those those two touchdown plays and there was a couple of other plays I think it was a second down they ran a, a screen to him on a second and 11 and he was able to weave through traffic for like a 30 yard gain I mean he just really showcased that Yeah, he has speed, but he's also just a good football player. He's a good receiver that can make plays. So I'm excited for the future for Paris Campbell and and love seeing a kid like him have success, but Just everybody in that receiving core has been able to step up at times and make plays. You mentioned Demario McCall. We'll talk about the fumble and and where I was and (laughs) and what I thought about that lead because this game could have been worse. This game could have been much worse if not for some Yeah, Ohio State had
1: 12 penalties (laughs) for 150 yards.
0: The officiating was bad on both yeah. sides. I'm not just going to say it was in favor of Michigan because I just I, I don't really believe in that kind of stuff. But it was just bad officiating on, on both sides, and I think that cost both teams, but it cost Ohio State a little bit more. But Chris Olave, before we get to that, you, you brought it up. He just looks like a different dude. I mean, that's like when we were watching Michael Thomas. Y- you could tell that there was just something about him that was different. He can make plays that other guys can't. The second touchdown where Haskins knew where he was going and he didn't put it on a dime because he didn't have to because he knew he could just throw it up to him and he could go up and get it. And it feels like they don't have that guy. And I know that we've talked about that with Benjamin Victor. And in theory, he is that guy, but we just haven't seen it consistently. And for Chris Olave to just come on the field and... And late in the season, and make the kind of plays. That he has. He was the one that really started the game, and he scores that second touchdown. He has the huge block punt, which, for my money, was probably the play. Yeah, I think
1: that won the game for him.
0: That was the play where he was like, okay, they're going to win this game. They're going to beat these dudes down. And he was, I think, the, the player of the game, with all due respect to Haskins and the defensive line and the way that the offensive line played. The spark that Chris Olave gave them was just top notch. And imagine imagine telling anybody hey Chris Olave is going to be the player of the game in the game against Michigan when i think he's only had now 8 catches in his career but his uh his future is very bright yeah
1: and i i will say we're not going to go this whole episode without getting a jab in at the staff uh Olave would not have been playing had it not been for an Austin Mac injury so that's awesome um but <laughs> I can't do it. I can't not yell at him at least once. But yeah, he's he's awesome. He's um he's a really really talented receiver, and his um his instincts aren't quite there yet. He had a play against Maryland, I think, where uh, he he turned the wrong way, and it would have been a touchdown had he not. But he's so smooth. He's he's so quick, and I, I think that Ohio State using him in this game was necessary for for the game plan that they. They wanted to run with the the mesh stuff. He, his his speed, his ability to to cut so quickly on his routes and to get open was super important here. And Michigan couldn't keep up with them. And I, I think he's going to be really really good for Ohio State. And if, if he's not already really really good for Ohio State, and I hope that they they give him significant playing time next season. I, I think that they probably will given that like six receivers are gonna be leaving after this year. But he he was great. He was you know he, he looks like a natural out there and Ohio State hasn't had a ton of those guys recently and it was really nice to to see him make a play and you you mentioned that second touchdown catch that was a ridiculous route that he ran <laughs> it was just that that is as a like that is as smooth a route as you will see I, I don't think that that was even the designed route as much as it was him making an adjustment to what the cornerback was doing Terry McLaurin did a great job of clearing out the safety and his man on that play there was a uh, there was a bubble screen fake and a, a play action there that brought the, the linebackers in, and it was pretty much Olave and, and his man who I think had a pretty bad day. The cornerback, whose, whose last name I don't remember, 28, he, he had a bad day.
0: Brandon Watson, I think that's who it is.
1: That that sounds right. But he, he saw that he had a mismatch, essentially, on the goal line, and uh, Dwayne Haskins threw it. He saw it, too, and Olave just made an excellent play. And I, you know, credit to him. That's that's something that not a lot of receivers can do. And he's doing it as a true freshman, and that's super impressive.
0: Poor 28, man. Even Mike Thomas was clowning him yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, I felt bad. Yeah. He's like, when you, when you have this all-pro receiver, <laughs> arguably the best guy in the league is just like, man, this guy's even weaker in person. Just like, ooh, ouch. So we talked about how this game felt like it could have gotten out of hand a couple of times, and obviously it eventually did. But when it was twenty-one to six, and Michigan was starting that drive with what about three minutes left in the first half, I was watching this game at a at a friend's house, and I looked over at him, and I was like, "Man, getting to half twenty-one six like that that would be huge." And then in the span of two minutes, it was twenty-one to nineteen. I was like, "Oh f- yeah, <laughs> like this has completely changed on its head." And we talked about the the Demario McCall kick return fumble. And I think I wasn't alone in saying, like, well, he's not going to see the field again. And in this theme of giving the coaching staff credit after railing on them all season, they stuck. I with stand me. with Demario. <laughs> I yeah. They, they we've stood with Demario all season, and they finally stood. With yeah. Because that that was the type of mistake that I I could have understood. If they were like, you know what, we're just going to put KJ Hill or Johnny Dixon back there. We're going to fair catch for the rest of the game. But they didn't do that. They put him back there on kick return and that next drive where they got the ball. And ultimately, I think may have been a low key, very important, even though they, they didn't score a touchdown and they kicked a field goal. McCall had that long catch. I think that it goes to show where the trust level with him is now. And that's probably very big for his confidence, too, that not only did he make a play, but he made a play right after making a mistake. And it was a huge play at that. And that that was just very encouraging, not only from DeMario's point of view, but for the coach's point of view as well, that they would stick with him and realize, hey, we need to get this guy out on the field. He gives us another dimension. And I, I think that that sequence, even though it was super bad and it's not where we wanted to be, as the first half ended, given the score, Two minutes before then that was huge and that was really encouraging to see
1: yeah I do think that that the trust for him is a big deal and that's something that Ohio State really hasn't done this year or in his career in general and I I gotta say I was so glad to see him make that play on that wheel route and to see him bounce back and you know the the thing with <laughs> with with football and I, I say this again in my film study that people should go read but uh um. Sometimes, like the the play, the wheel route was designed well. It was it was schemed well, but um, Demario McCall is just faster than everybody else. And sometimes you just need a guy who's faster than everybody else. And he's going to make mistakes. Sometimes he reminds me a lot of young Paris Campbell. In that young Paris Campbell made quite a few mistakes, and now he's you know the leader of the team, and he's uh, you know he's really led the team all year, and he seems to be. You know the 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 captain kind of stepping up and filling that J T Barrett role, and I think Demario could do that if they if they trust him and they let him do that. And he just he's a freak athlete and he made a play and it was a it was a big deal for Ohio State even if that drive just finished with with three. That wheel route actually set up a a later pass to um I I think it was I think it was K J Hill on an underneath route that I. I'm just in love with the play. And that's also in my, my film study, but it, it was a big play for Ohio state. And I was, I was really glad to see DeMario step up, up and make it.
0: That's a great transition into, if we're going to complain about one thing, cause we have to, it's going to be this man, th- this Tate Martell package. It sucks. It's, it's got <laughs> it. It's got to go at least until the bowl game or wherever they go postseason and have a couple of weeks to practice it. That absolutely killed their two chances. And I, I don't know if, I don't think they used it on that drive because that was the one where Haskins threw to Victor and he got his foot down, but the ball wasn't wasn't across the plane. So no, no complaint on that one. But it was two other drives, right, where they, they brought him in. And I, I don't think, and we've said this before, when I bring up not liking this package, it's not because of Tate Martell. I think he can be... And he should honestly be successful in in this type of role, but just how they're using it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think he probably misread one play that that should have been a touchdown if he would have kept the ball, but without any sort of threat of him throwing the ball, it just doesn't make a lot of sense right now, especially against a, a very talented defense. But that was extremely disappointing because it felt like, hey man, you're you're scoring points. You need to score as many points on this defense as possible, and they kind of left a couple on the board. So I, I would like to see them get away from that, unless they have just a totally different strategy against Northwestern and then come up with something new for the bowl game. But as as of right now, it's a net negative.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the the thing that I've seen from from some people that I I think is. It, it's slightly misguided. I understand where it's coming from. But the idea that the tape package would work if they just let him throw, um, which at that point he's just the quarterback. <laughs> and if you're going to use the tape the tape package but you're going to throw with him, you might as well just leave Dwayne in there because he can throw. And he's been running the last couple of weeks pretty successfully. He ran pretty successfully on Saturday. I, I think he ran for – 34 yards on seven carries, and he was, you know, he was fine. He he can get short yardage when he keeps the ball because he's really big and he, he's hard to tackle, and I I really don't think that there's a, a huge advantage, if any advantage, to putting Tate in, especially because it seems like Ohio State has figured out at least slightly how to use Paris Campbell as a decoy on, on motion in the red zone or, or how to use play action in the red zone zone or there it's still the Russian game is still not perfect by any means obviously because they had two situations in the red zone where they didn't score but I don't think you need to put in Tate to to make it work I think that you can play call and and scheme around it and I would greatly prefer that they do that rather than taking the starter out of the game
0: are you ready to talk about the defense yeah
1: yeah I I think I'm ready to talk about the defense
0: the defense I I don't think was great by any means but they gave up 5.1 yards per play I think the point total was a little bit inflated, especially due to that that fumbled kickoff. There was nothing they could really do there. But I think the defense was good enough to where Greg Ciano, all these other schools, reach out to yeah, that Colorado. man. He deserves you a head Greg coaching Ciano? job. He he deserves a head coaching job. Reach out to the man. But in all honesty, um it, it all started with the defensive line and we touched on it a little bit, but they were they were pretty great. Just they came in waves all game and they made Michigan's running game basically non-existent for the most part and they were able to just harass Shea Patterson all game and pressure him into throws that I don't think we've seen him make since the Notre Dame game. I know that all of it wasn't his fault, but he looked extremely shaky, and I think a lot of that was due to the defensive line. And even kudos to the linebackers. You said it in your film study. It looked like they were used a little bit different. Malik Harrison played like goddamn Superman out there. He had his best game at Ohio State. It was great to see him flying around from the jump he was a monster.
1: Yeah, I um I'll talk about the the linebackers a little bit cuz I I went back and I watched the game a little bit at the gym and then full game as a a film study. And um I I just I don't want to be too I'm I'm trying to avoid being negative because this was a huge win and the linebackers played awesome and um I I've spent the whole year railing on Greg Schiano and Bill Davis for a good reason. So I, I don't want to center this as much around the fact that this is what they should have been doing all year. Uh, so I'll get that out of the way now. This is what they should have been doing all year. But the linebackers—they let them play zone in this game for a significant amount of the game. They let Malik Harrison and, and Tough Borland mostly. Pete Warner was still used quite a bit in man, which is why he didn't have as good of a game as the other guys did. But they let Tough and Malik play quite a bit of zone. They they still used them in in blitzes and at in you know passing downs, which I'm I'm fine with. But they didn't put them up, up on the line. They gave them space to read the play and they let them drop back into a zone and they had the best game of their season. Both of them. Tough Borland and Malik Harrison were both fantastic in this game. And Malik Harrison specifically, he had two tackles for a loss. He had a sack. He was diagnosing plays as they were happening, reacting to them and using his athleticism to make the play. Tough Borland was reading the play before they were happening there was a there was a screen that i i mentioned on twitter on a 2 point conversion where tuff borland saw the motion saw the the bunch trips to the left and he made a step towards the screen to stop it made the tackle to to keep michigan out of the end zone and he wouldn't have been able to do that if he was on the line and that was the thing we've wanted to see from him all year because he's a smart player. Malik Harrison's a smart player. Pete Warner's a smart player. These guys are good linebackers. They're just not being put in positions to succeed, and they were on Saturday. They were finally put in a position where they could make plays. They could play like linebackers. They could do things that linebackers do, and they were awesome. So I'm I'm really, really happy for those guys that they got to do what they probably should have been doing all year and you know regardless of the fact that it took all season I am glad that Ohio State figured it out for at least one game I hope that they keep it up because they completely took away the underneath passing they completely shut down the rushing attack and they forced Shea Patterson to beat them over the top and there's not a ton of quarterbacks that can do that and I I think if Ohio State can cut down on the, the pass interference they would be even better off defensively but the The linebackers, the line both had great games, and that's a great start for them.
0: Sean Wade killed a couple dudes, yeah, as well. he did
1: he killed a couple guys. <laughs>
0: He killed that tight end, and the tight end like got up. And that that was super odd because th- at that point the game was pretty much over, and Sean Wade just oh, laid man. that dude out. And he he didn't even like stand over him for that long. But the tight end got up, and I I just wondered like I wonder what he's saying to him. Like what what could he possibly have to shit talk back to Sean Wade about right now,
1: sir? How dare you? <laughs> yeah, I, I think we need to get I think we need to get Sean Wade mic'd up. <laughs> Because he had he had a big hit early on in the game. I think it was on a screen where he he knocked the ball loose, and it was a very nice play. And then the the hit on the very large tight end, which makes it even more impressive that he he was able to do that to an extremely big football player. And um, the the defensive backfield didn't have a great game. I think Sean Wade was one of the better ones of, of this game. I think that Wade and and Jordan Fuller were pretty much the the bright spots in the defense and Brendan White didn't have a a terrible game. He was he was pretty good. The corners were not good, but Sean Wade, big big hitter, which is honestly a little bit surprising because we thought of him as kind of a coverage guy, and he he comes in here and murders two Michigan players, and um, he it's nice to see that energy from him. That's that's a lot of fun, and I, I hope that he keeps doing it.
0: Yeah, that, and that's something we honestly haven't seen a lot of the defense of as the season has gone on, especially after Nick Bosa got hurt. It's just felt like they've really lacked that spark and to play with the kind of energy they did was, was very encouraging. What did you think of Michigan's decision to bring in Joe Milton for a very beautiful interception? That was, a, that was a very well thrown ball. It was just right to uh right to Brendan white.
1: Joe Milton was actually slightly better <laughs> than Shea Patterson. I, I think um, he obviously he didn't do much. He only had three, passes, but his his arm strength was a little bit better suited to to go up against Ohio State's defense. And obviously, at that point, the game was already over, so it's not a huge um, it's not a huge tell. I am a little bit concerned about what um, what he'll be able to do in the future because he's still super young. But you know, it, it was really just Ohio State's defense again. Going back to the preparation, they were ready for this game. Michigan wasn't, and. The secondary, for the most part, was picked on with the some, like you said, some pretty bad calls both ways. There were some really iffy defensive pass interference calls, and I, I do think that the <laughs> a good portion of the calls on Kendall Sheffield and Damon Arnett were fair, but there were a couple that were a little a little suspect. And I I, I think in general, I would like to see the defensive backfield improve, but they did enough to win and I think that that's against Michigan I'll I'll take that especially because it was a 23 point win and that's pretty impressive.
0: That Sean Wade hit should have been a fumble too that yeah. was I, I don't know how, how that one didn't get reviewed and the last thing I think we really had since we went over the offense went over the defense is special teams and the the big play that stands out was the punt block and it just fell so beautifully right into seven. Like he just was going (laughs) in stride. That was a punt block on a dime. And that was like we said, kind of the play that changed the game and was like, okay, Michigan is definitely going to have to work from behind from all games. So for them to make a game changing play, even, you know, when, when you take into account the Demario McCall play for them to, to get it back and make a play like that was, Great, and that was the play that changed the game.
1: The The actual punt block itself, the way that it was d- designed, was really nice. I, I don't focus a ton on uh, special teams design because it's a pretty basic thing, but um, the it was essentially a stunt punt block. They had Chris Olave stunt behind... Uh, I don't remember who it was, but somebody who was running straight at a defender in Michigan completely missed him and when you have a player that fast, that's a pretty good strategy and uh, i'll I'll certainly take it. That was a huge boost for ohio state's um you know team in general in the second half they they started off the third quarter pretty slow before they they figured out how to um really take advantage of the adjustments that Michigan had made, and that was a that was a big momentum play for Ohio state and a great play by everybody involved. And, you know, it was, it was nice to see them do that. And I think that that was the play that kind of broke Michigan spirit,
0: big picture stuff before we we move on and talk about some other things that happened.
1: Very important. Other thing that happened.
0: (laughs) Yes. There's one, there's only one you've, you've alluded to it a little bit here and I I know it's been a, a topic of discussion on Twitter and on the Ohio state internet is the difference between being angry or upset with the season as a whole and being happy about this game. And I think, I think this is something where it can go both ways. And and to me, you can't talk about this season without bringing up the first 10 games or, you know, most of the first 10, 11 games and the inconsistencies and, the underachievement, and how they've looked, but you can also look at this game and say, wow, this is the game that they put everything together, they were awesome, and be extremely happy with it, and for me, if, you know, I don't want a season where Ohio State has a bunch of inconsistencies, because if you look back, this was very similar to 2015. I, I don't think the two teams are comparable in talent, I think the 2015 team was was better had better overall at least defensively for sure yeah yeah in in the way that they kind of just slogged through the whole season and then they blasted Michigan at the end of the year and I think that if you're going to have an inconsistent season and then have a game like this I want it to be this game against Michigan and if this is the singular thing that I remember about this team if if what stands out to them or to me about them is beating Michigan 62 to 39 for a, a seventh straight victory in this series I'm okay with that and you know you're not always going to play your best football week in and week out and there's a lot of times that we've criticized them basically all season and I, I think it's been justified but at the same time they deserved credit for this week and they played extremely awesome and like I said if this is the one thing that I remember about this team I'm fine with that because they, they were fantastic.
1: Yeah, and this is a this is a win that I think it is <laughs> I, I think it is possible because I'm I'm one of the people doing it to enjoy this win. This is a huge, huge oh, win for Ohio State. And I think it's possible to enjoy this win and still look at the first eleven games of the season and think, Hey, what the f was that? Hey, why could we do this one this time, but not for the first eleven games of the season? And I, I think that if this is Ohio State turning a corner, awesome. I'll I'll be more than happy to to watch them. I like when Ohio State does good things. It's it's good to me. And I, I don't I don't enjoy being negative about the coaching staff or about the team. I, I want Ohio State to succeed. And they were just kind of skating by for the first eleven weeks of the season and this win almost makes it more frustrating looking back, but I'm also really going to enjoy this win. Ohio State kicked the shit out of Michigan, and that's always really, really fun. And I, I don't know what the future holds for this team. I think at this point I would be I'd be fine with, with them beating Northwestern, Oklahoma getting into the playoff, and Ohio State going and playing in the Rose Bowl. I, I think that's almost what I want, just because this feels like the, the kind of team that I, I would like to see a happy ending with and I think that there's a much likelier chance that they get a happy ending against Washington and the Rose Bowl than they would against Alabama in the playoff and that's not me being scared of Alabama it's me knowing that Ohio State's not going to beat Alabama and no one's going to beat Alabama they're really good and I would like to see these seniors specifically the wide receivers I would like to see these guys sent off with a win in a really cool stadium in the Rose Bowl. And I, I think that that's what I'm hoping for here, is that Ohio State beats Northwestern, um, and then they go and they whoop Washington in the Rose Bowl. I, I think that that would be the ideal way for this season to end. If they make the playoff, I'm fine with that too. But go go play Northwestern, keep playing the way that they did, and whatever happens, happens. I, I think that, you know, like you said, if the lasting memory of this team is that they destroyed Michigan in the final game of the season? I'm I'm satisfied with that. There are still plenty of issues with this team. There are still plenty of issues in the program, but I I'm not <laughs> I'm not too negative to enjoy a Michigan win. I, I'm certainly going to embrace that, and I hope that they give us more reasons to be positive next week.
0: Yeah, and I think that this game showcased what the ideal version of this program is, and and that's not to say that you expect to win your rivalry games by by 30 (laughs) points and and just beat the hell out of everybody on your run, on your way to the the postseason, but just the consistency on offense, the ability to play with energy on defense, to make a big special teams player too, and to have competent, good coaching. That is the ideal version of this program. And we saw when they have everything together, we saw why people – Game. We saw why they were number one in S and P Plus coming into the season. Why people were picking them to win the national championship. So it was just nice to see that. And I'm at peace with whatever happens. You know, if if people listening, if you're looking for a show to yell about the playoff and to put down Oklahoma or UCF or even to say that Ohio I will State never put down it. UCF. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, you'll never do that. I, and, and honestly, I'm just not here to yell about the playoff and we're especially not going to do it right now when, you know, nothing, we still have these conference championship games, but I'm with you, whether, whether they get in or not, I I'm fine with, and You know, I'm not going to do the thing where we say, oh, UCF is shitty because they play in a lower division. Now that their quarterback is hurt, they don't deserve to be in. Oklahoma's defense is bad. They're only offensive, which, I mean, we can't really (laughs) uh, talk about a glass house. But, and say, oh, Oklahoma plays in the Big 12. They don't play anybody. Or to do what you and I have done all season and say, well, Ohio State doesn't deserve it. They look like shit all year. Like, all of these teams are good. If any of these teams get in to that four spot, They're going to deserve it, and I think you can make a case for every one of them. I'm just not with this thing that we do now where we talk about teams that have a chance to make it a playoff. And if they have a deficiency, make it seem like they're eight and four or like they're a seven and five team that that has no business playing in. All these teams are extremely deserving. The one thing I'm not here for is Georgia losing in the sec championship and then just somehow getting to play Alabama right away again. Just like, Oh, okay. We just have a rematch for that. But other than that, I am good with whatever happens here. And Obviously it has to start with an Ohio State win over Northwestern, which we'll talk about more in the coming days and on the next episode. But this is a, a good way to gear up for the end of the season and hopefully this win gives them a little bit of juice going forward and they can see, Hey, this is what we should be doing. Let's let's get it rolling. We'll we'll see this week.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, like you said, whatever happens, it happens. I'm I'm at peace with it. There will certainly be plenty of playoff debate. I don't. I don't think I really care (laughs) about the playoff debate.
0: Embrace debate. Yeah, (laughs) embrace debate.
1: Um, My stance is that UCF deserves a shot if they win out, but I I don't. I don't care. (laughs) It's football. I'm going to enjoy watching it regardless. Um, I hope Ohio State keeps doing the thing where they play well and they coach well. Um, And that's you know it it is what it is. And I, I think Oklahoma. And UCF are are great teams. I think Ohio State can be a great team uh, when they when they play like this. I mean, Ohio State had a ninety nine percent percentile performance, which is crazy. I mean, that's Ohio State played just about as well as they could have possibly played against Michigan, and I would like to see more of that. This this version of Ohio State was really really fun, and I would like to see more of them. I, I think that that's my my strong take here i I would like to see that (laughs) because they were they were delightful now we have even more important news from this weekend even more shocking important relevant fantastic news from this weekend do do you want to tell the people what it is possibly in song form
0: (laughs) patrick I'm back, back, bitches. I'm back, bitches. <laughs> Call Shashevsky telling him I'm going to egg that stupid son of a bitch's house. Bring Gene with me, baby. We secured the bag. We're back in Chapel Hill, baby.
1: <laughs> Welcome back, Mac Brown. We missed you so much. Mac Brown has secured the bag. He's back in Chapel Hill. Mac is back, baby.
0: How, how do we feel about I mean, I know how I feel about it. I love it. This is the greatest thing <laughs> in the world. The but... best thing that's ever happened to us. <laughs> How, how is this going to work? Because I love stupid things, and I'm crazy enough to say, huh, this this actually might work oh, sure. if he brings on Cliff Kingsbury and has a – because the, here's the one thing about Mac Brown. Mac Brown knows he's not an X's and O's guy. Mac Brown, if he gets two good coordinators, can literally just schmooze. That's what he's done all of his career, and that's not knocking him. That's what Dabo Sweeney is doing right now. That's honestly what Urban Meyer should be doing and, and what he's kind of alluded to – how he worked uh, this past Saturday kind of did against Michigan. And it worked really well for Ohio state. So I, I don't know if it'll like how much success North Carolina is going to have, but I think college football is better with, uh, with Mac Brown in it. And I really want to see them match up with Texas somehow. And he just absolutely destroys Tom Herman.
1: Yeah. I, um <laughs> I don't think it's going to work just because that would be insane. And he couldn't, he, I mean, he got fired from Texas with with top talent, but it would be very funny if it worked. And I I um I, I will always love Mac Brown, probably one of the funniest coaches in the world, just an absolutely, absolutely. insane personality. And um, I don't really care if North Carolina is successful, so I'm I'm very happy <laughs> about this. And uh, sure, I, I hope that he goes out and and gets Cliff Kingsbury. I would certainly like it if Ohio State did that, but uh, that's time that's a conversation for the offseason but i hope he goes out and gets cliff i hope he goes out and gets gene chizik and i hope they win a a million games that would be very funny i i think that that's that's pretty much where i'm at with that would kick ass if mac brown is good even if he's not he secured the bag and we're very happy for him
0: hey cut cliff you know who it is watch your ass i'm back baby
1: (laughs) oh god we missed mac brown
0: (laughs) Is there any other big coaching news right now? Colorado's looking at Butch Jones, which I I will stop my affiliation with the CU program if they hire Butch yeah. Jones or Ch- or Chuck Pagano. There there are a lot of people that Colorado could hire where I'd be like, you know what? I was back for a couple of years and now I am out. So hopefully they don't do anything stupid like that. Also, yeah, Greg Schiano to the list. Don't don't make that hire, Rick George. Let's not go down that route. But USC keeps Clay Helton which I
1: saw Lane Kiffin was getting sassy about that on Twitter.
0: <laughs> Lane Kiffin. Man, not a great year for any... Lane Kiffin. <laughs> no, no. I, I feel like if the main knock on Lane Kiffin was like, yeah, the first couple years or like the first year's really good. And then it drops off. And he had all of, like the freedom in the world to be able to not continue that at Florida Atlantic. And then you look up after they went 10 and what, 10 and two or 10 and three last year. And they're, Five and seven? Not great, Lane. Yeah. Not great. Yeah.
1: Um, the the only other, te- Texas Tech obviously fired Cliff Kingsbury. They're looking at, um, I saw a report yesterday that was, I mean, it's wrong, uh, that Mike Leach was going to consider going back there. He's, he's not. I can say that um, for a fact. They're not going to hire Mac- Mike Leach. Neither, neither party wants that. Um, Daniel Hogerson's not going to go there either. I, I, I'm guessing that they'll look at Seth Luttrell at North Texas, which would be a good hire. Um, the The only other real thing I think worth talking about is that uh, Kevin Falk punched Jimbo Fisher's nephew after a seven overtime football game. <laughs> <laughs> did you see? Did, did you see the picture? Trying to
0: process. Yeah, trying to process <laughs> everything that happened there. Like. I'm I'm still relatively young. I, I'm 28. I still do stupid things. Getting into it with Kevin Falk or anybody who was a former football player seems like the very very wrong idea. And I I just love this. I love this idea that Jimbo Fisher just has a shithead nephew. Yeah. Though I feel like that's really awesome. Also, yeah. don't punch Steve. Don't punch people in general. But, like, don't punch Steve Cragthorpe, who has Parkinson's disease. He like, punched him in let, the... Let's not, let's not do that. He punched him in the
1: pacemaker. So I don't know if that was, like, like advanced scouting or just really bad punch. But, um, yeah, don't punch people in the pacemaker, just in general. Not a good thing to do. Um, but everything about this picture is is perfect from... Um, I, I believe it was the advocate that, that had the... The photo and it's just, I mean, there's a Texas A&M player laying on the ground from um, exhaustion after seven overtimes. Um, There's there's the actual punch itself, which is beautiful and perfect in every way. And I I think if you're dumb enough to get in a fight with Kevin Falk, you're also dumb enough to be killed by Kevin Falk, which I I think almost happened here. (laughs) And then on top of it all, there's a man who is unidentified in an LSU polo. It looks like between the two punchers, a little bit behind. He's the best. Just just a completely blank smile. <laughs> He's made peace absolutely with his God. The best part. It's the best part of the whole picture.
0: <laughs> well and that I'm glad not I'm not glad that something like this happened, but it's fitting for what that game was. Yeah. And I, I had it we had it up on the Chromecast and we're like kind of paying attention to it and when the intercept interception happened, we just left it on. And then as I kept looking, I was like, huh his knee was down and then like they kept going and they got that fourth down which on the broadcast looked extremely short and I guess live he he definitely got the first down but my buddy was like yeah why does Ed Orgeron look so sweaty and I was like yeah they dumped Gatorade on him for some reason (laughs) I thought they won the game and then for them to to come back and score the way they did with one second left and then some of the things that happened in that overtime We've, we've bitched all year about there not being a defining moment for this season or many good games. If we had to wait for this, I'm okay with that because this was one where we were, we were behind like five minutes. So I had to close Twitter, like close my computer, and we tried to catch up, and we finally caught up around like the fifth overtime. And it was just – it was worth it all. It was a phenomenal game, and I love – seeing bad things happen to lsu i i really do i don't know why but seeing them go nine and three just it feels right
1: yeah i've got some lsu friends and so i don't know if i can if i can be as cavalier about that but the game kicked ass it was extremely fun um joe burrow was lsu's leading rusher easily 29 carries for 100 yards so he's uh he's the best running back in the sec so good for him um <laughs> it was it was all in all just an extremely chaotic, extremely stupid football game and that's that's what we love about college football. so I'll <laughs> I'll take it. It was it was a delight. Um, someone who I've never interacted with before on Twitter was the one that actually, showed me the picture they just tagged me. They don't follow me or anything. they just tagged me in the picture so uh thank you to to them for that that's that's much appreciated i um I'm very, very glad to see that image and um i, I hope, hope that I see it three hundred more times just today because it's it's really phenomenal
0: <laughs> also it was a on the subject of fighting in that game um I don't know if you caught the end of NC state yeah yeah they got in the scrap when where there were some haymakers being thrown and maybe my favorite quote of the year from now former head coach, uh, Larry, in Fedora. Larry Fedora. Yeah. He was like, yeah, there wasn't a fight. They were just, uh, both teams were just they were working congratulating out their each other after the game. <laughs> and I was like, I I don't know where you're from, but congratulating somebody, uh, I, I don't do it with a right hook or a left hook. Like usually the handshake will work. That was crazy. Uh, I don't know if you saw the end of Florida state, Florida, where I think it was Chauncey Gardner, Tried to pull the Baker Mayfield and brought the flag out and Willie there's a picture <laughs> of Willie Taggart with his hands on the flag and like staring at him like you better not. And Chauncey Gardner's just like looking at him with this shit eating grin. I, I really love seeing stuff like that. And I actually don't mind Florida right now. Seeing them beat the hell out of FSU was uh was, was pretty cathartic. I enjoyed that.
1: That's Ohio State head coach, uh, future head coach Dan Mullen to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm just gonna listen. We're gonna come on hire, board. We're gonna hire Will Muschamp. Uh, and then we're going to hire Jim McElwain, and then we're going to hire Dan Mullen, and everything will be good again. And that's just what happens. <laughs> it's the circle of life.
0: Will Michigan be able to beat Ohio State through through all that? That is the main question. Absolutely they couldn't not. Be, they couldn't They Jim, Harbaugh Jim couldn't McElwain be, knows their secrets. <laughs> Jim, Jim Harbaugh <laughs> showed that he is incapable of beating Will Muschamp last year. We did see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They, they can't top Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp is – objectively a better football coach than Jim Harbaugh.
0: Ohio State head coach Will Muschamp, we at least know he's going to be able to win the game. You you have anything else?
1: Um no, I think that's about it. It was a it was a fun rivalry weekend. There were quite a few games that sucked, but um there was some fun stuff. Ohio State killing Michigan is always extremely good. Um that's I mean that's about it. I, I love silly season with the coaching hires. So this is a this is a very fun time for me. I, I'm sure that um, I'm sure that sbnation.com has plenty of coaching news coverage that you can follow. If anybody's actually really interested in that, we've got some great writers at .com that'll have legitimate sources and that will have information that you can read. Uh, so people should go do that. People should go read LandGrantHolyLand.com as well, where there will be a film study and, and plenty of takes. I wrote a column about um you know Ohio State not doing this all year and and why Ohio State wasn't doing this all year that people should go read and um I think that's about it I'm I'm really excited for for conference championship week there are some really fun matchups I'm I'm interested specifically in the Big 12 championship and the Mountain West championship the American championship should be good obviously the SEC championship and uh really all of them it's it's a it should be a good week of football, and I'm I'm really excited for
0: it. Yeah, we have plenty of coverage coming your guys' way on Land Grant and Holy Land, also here on the podcast. We didn't think we'd be talking about Ohio State playing Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship, but here we are. I'm super amped up, and we managed to get through this without dropping too much or giving away too much of our hand about what we think about that game. So. Stay tuned. We will have an episode for you guys in the coming days previewing the Big Ten title game against Northwestern. Make sure to go to SoundCloud.com slash land. Also, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We were so positive today. I don't know how anybody can be upset with anything that we said. We got the first real positive episode in a long time, yeah. and that uh, that felt pretty good. That's going to happen when you beat Michigan 62 to. 39 but until next time for Patrick Mayhorn I'm Colton Denning this has been the hangout in the Holy Land and Go Bucks.